Yeah, yeah, thank you very much. Thank you for the prayer meeting. Wow. If you don't go to the prayer meeting, you should. I'm just saying. An amazing time downstairs. And so I'm Jeff. I brought Chris and Wendy with me. I'm in Weinberg Congregation. I used to be with Ross Lahana. He's gone to uh, Hermanus. And we've got a young guy called Estian van Amerva, who's uh, stepping up to the plate. And so uh, we're uh, in a transition time as well. My history is I got saved many years ago. Didn't know anything about the Holy Spirit and got very hungry for God. And I kept going to my pastor in a very traditional, uh, legalistic, narrow-minded kind of church. And I kept saying to him, there must be more. And he kept saying to me, go and pray. And I'd go and pray, and then I'd come back and say, there must be more. And he said, go and pray. And so I went and prayed. And then I went back to him, and I said, there's got to be more. And he couldn't help me. Because he was stuck. And he didn't understand the reality of the presence of God by his spirit. He knew it. I would ask, do we believe I would say to him, what about these things in the Bible? And he'd say, look, we're open to that, which meant we're not going there. Sorry, I'm, I've got to do this, otherwise I'll never I'm start. I, I'd go, I, I speak far too long. So I said to him, I said to him what are we going to do about it? He said, well, we, 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 you just pray. So I, I learned how to pray. And then I had an experience with God, the Holy Spirit, and it changed the way I saw how God works. And God is not contained in our thinking, and dare I even say this, He's bigger than this. So we must read this, but God is bigger than that. And I had this wonderful experience, and I spoke in tongues. And I went back to my church, and I said, guess what? And I became like, oh my word, enemy, the Holy Spirit. And the thing I realized that with a lot of us, when we get saved, is we don't understand the reality of the Spirit because we try and work it out cerebrally. And I've got news for you. You can't. You can't. God's much bigger than that. I want to tell you a story. Do you know the story of Moses and crossing the Red Sea? Say yes, you know, just help me. Okay. Do, who, who doesn't know the story? Okay, so this lady takes a little boy to Sunday school. She doesn't go to church. You know, they drop the kids so then they've got a free morning. You know, that we used to do, and we don't go to church. The kids go to Sunday school. She picked him up from Sunday school. She said to him, so how was it this morning? He said, Mom, it was amazing. She said, what did you learn? He said, Mom, we learned about this guy, Moses. Yeah, and Moses had this army, Mom, and he was escaping another army. And they were in a desert, mom, and they got to this place where there was water, like a sea. And they said it was red, but, uh, you know, it was really blue. And, 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 and Moses called the army and said to them, listen, you must build a bridge. The engineers would build a bridge over the sea to, because they couldn't get through. 
And then they all went over the bridge. And when they got to the other side, the enemy came. And while they were on the bridge, he sent the demolition experts. And they blew the bridge up. And the enemy fell in the water and they all drowned. And his mom said, gee, that's an incredible story. She said, are you sure that's the way your teacher told it to you? He said, mom, if I told you the story the way my teacher told me, you'll never believe it. (laughs) And I'm saying that because God wants to do things that in your thinking, you don't even believe it. The Bible is full of stories that are impossible. God does impossible things. And it's full of that. God is actually good at doing the impossible. And we've got to get it into our understanding that that's the God that we serve. He's bigger than that. I, um, I'm going to put myself into a, a difficult position by quoting this. One of my favorite authors, and I, I'm not a big reader, but I read quite a lot, is A.W. Tozer. Man before his time, wonderful man of God. This is what he writes. A major hindrance for God's people is hardness of heart. Caused by men without the Spirit who preach about the Spirit. The major problem in God's church is a hardness of heart caused by men without the Spirit preach about the Spirit. So if you preach about something that you have got passion for and you know, then it kind of gets through. And um, yeah. So I'm going to speak about the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to, I want to try and convince you this morning that he's not weird. The people are weird. The Spirit of God is not weird. He does some things that we can't understand, but that doesn't mean he's weird. He is God. You've had God the Father. You've had God the Son. Now you've got God the Holy Spirit. It's not God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Scripture. It's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Because He's the one that Jesus said, I'm going to send one just like me to come be with you. Now, we always think if Jesus was here, He is here. We just can't see Him now. But we can see evidences of His presence. Amen. So, the Holy Spirit's introduced to us in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 2. I did give you all those things, didn't I? Here we are. Now the earth was formless and empty, the darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the water. So right in the beginning, God, the Holy Spirit, was present. Can you say amen? Just to make sure that you're still breathing. Okay. Every new beginning in God, every single new beginning in God is motivated by and through the Spirit. Every single move of God that's ever happened on the planet was started by the Spirit of God. You should say amen to that. Amen. Romans 8 verse 9 says this. Where are we? You, however, are, are controlled not by the sinful nature but by the Spirit. If the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. Now that is a very serious scripture. And I'll come back to that in a minute. If you have been born again of the Spirit of God, you belong to Jesus. 
if you haven't the Spirit of God, you cannot say that I'm a Christian. You cannot be a child of God except by the Spirit of God. And today, if you're not a Christian, you can become a Christian. Like that. Because the Spirit of God is present to speak to you. And I'm going to trust God that He will speak to you. He's the key that unlocks the doors into the supernatural or the spiritual realm. It's a realm that frightens some people. Maybe some people have delved into another realm of the Spirit, the dark side. We are going to delve into the light side, the life side, where Jesus took us out of that darkness and brought us into life. Without Him, it's like a blind man going into a palace. And he looks around, the, well, he can't look around, but he's in the palace and he senses it's beautiful. He can feel, he just knows. Do you know when you're, you're in a room and you're doing something and you're studying and somebody comes in, you know, you know they're there. But you can't see them, you haven't heard them, you just know there's a presence. And a blind man or a blind person in this beautiful place senses the beauty, senses the magnificence, senses, oh, I wish I could see. I wish I could see. He can sense it, the, the splendor. It may even, he may even be moved by what he senses, even though he cannot see the magnificence. A child who doesn't appreciate anything of what he can see because he's unaware of the splendor hardly gives the place a second glance. He just runs through I'm on a mission, bro. I'm through ya. The blind man wants to see. The kid doesn't understand. And what the child needs, Paul prays in Ephesians 1, sorry, 17, I keep asking. I love that. I keep asking. Don't just pray once for something. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that I can look smart and I can be, no, so that I can know him better. I can only know him by the Spirit. I must read the Word. I must read the Word because this will show me who he is. But it's the Spirit of God that opens this book for me. If I just have the Word and I used to just have the Word, I dried up. Oh, man, I was so boring. If you just have the Spirit, you're going to blow up. Because you must be balanced. And if you have the Word and the Spirit, you'll grow up. Just the Word, you'll dry up. I guarantee you. You'll go to, go to places and they'll preach and it's all nice and it's all sound and it's all theologically correct and everything is done. Like Paul says, it should be fittingly in order, except everything's missing. It's like a savanna. It's dry, but you can drink it. We don't want that church. We want a church full of the life of God. So when I drink, I get spirit-filled. Can you say amen? amen? The child needs wisdom. We pray for a spirit of wisdom and revelation. The child in the palace needs wisdom to stop and learn to appreciate what's going down. The blind man needs revelation. And the Bible says we're all blind to the realities of God. And our eyes get opened by the Holy Spirit. And suddenly we begin to see things. Sorry, I just want to, I'm going to trip just now. And 
to get up again is quite a thing for me. See, when I'm down there, I think, what else can I do while I'm down there? You know, when you get old. (laughs) We must have both. Wisdom and revelation. Andrew Murray said this. There are two ways of knowing. You know who Andrew Murray is? Yeah. Every time I go to Wellington, and I go there a lot, I never used to go to Wellington, ever. Now, in Wellington, I drive past that church, and I stop. And I say, God, you did it once. You can do it again. Now it's a monument, and the pigeons poop on his statue, and there's no life. But there was once a move of the Spirit of God in that church that affected that whole valley. The power of God. That's what we long for. He said this, there are two ways of knowing things. The one is in the mind by thought and idea. I know about a thing. The other is by living. I know by experience. An intelligent blind man may know all that science teaches about light because he would have had books read to him and he'd listened to talks. A child who has never thought what light is has more, knows more about light than the intellectual blind scholar. The scholar knows all about it by thinking. The child knows about it by reality, by seeing and enjoying. That's God, the Spirit. You can't just know him cerebrally. He wants you to know him experientially. And at the end of this, we're going to pray. I'm going to pray for you. And I don't mind if it takes till 3 o'clock to pray for you, but I want you to experience God. You can't come to a meeting otherwise and not experience God. Others are like the round table. You just sit there, listen to some oak, leave. No, it's good. The coffee, not so great this morning. The worship, yeah, she was average. She probably just had a baby. That's why. It, sorry. The preacher, probably an old guy. Gray hair, you know, wandered around a little bit. Said, I can't remember what he said. No, no, no. I don't care if you don't remember. But if you experience him, for me, that's what it's about. The touch of God can change your life. The Holy Spirit was there in the beginning. In the Old Testament, he came upon particular people at particular times, I like this, for particular things. Preachers love alliteration. At particular people, at particular times, for particular things. But in the New Testament, he came to stay. In the New Testament, he came to stay. And this is what it says in in John's Gospel, chapter 1. This is a magnificent scripture. This is John the Baptist. We call him John the Baptist because he was a baptizer. He used to baptize people. And the Baptists loved John the Baptist. He said this, I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him. Now that says something about what Jesus was like before this. I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify. I wouldn't have known, but the one who told me to baptize with water said, the one on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain. Now, it was in the form of a dove. Okay, It was in the form. It wasn't a dove. You know, these pigeons come, you know... He saw something that looked like it and that settled on Jesus. And there came a voice out of heaven saying, This is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. And the disciples were on the Mount of Transfiguration. And Jesus was transfigured and a voice came from heaven. This 
is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. And he added, listen to him. Listen to Jesus. How do I listen to Jesus? By the Spirit. Jesus said this of John the Baptist. I tell you, among those born of woman, there's no one greater than John. John the Baptist didn't do one miracle. Not one miracle. He was, he was a weirdo. He dressed in camel hair and ate locusts and wild honey and was preaching, repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand, you brood of vipers. And Jesus said of him, there's no one greater born among women that is greater, that's greater than John. Why? What made John the Baptist so clever? You know what it was? John the Baptist had the privilege of ushering in the age of the Spirit. Greatness, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, because He opens my spiritual eyes. He opens my spiritual heart. He opens my spiritual ears. I begin to see the reality of this God that we serve. Not physically, but I know, I sense it in my heart. The Holy Spirit is the supreme gift of the new covenant. Jesus said to them, now go and wait in Jerusalem for the gift, the gift the Father promised. He is the supreme gift. I mentioned that in every new beginning with God is motivated by the Spirit. Look at Acts chapter 2, the birth of the church. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house. Now you've got to read the Bible. It was a sound like the rushing wind. It wasn't a rushing wind. Jeez, the southeast is hitting this morning. It was the sound like blowing of a violent wind. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation. The Jewish nation, the people chosen by God to be His people, experienced the Holy Spirit. And people said, they drunk. And Peter said, it's only nine o'clock in the morning. And he started singing a song. I'm not drunk as you suppose. I'm just filled with the Holy Ghost. And, they, and, and Acts 2.12 says, amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Because it was, it was chaos. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, He can do anything He wants to. And all you have to do is yield. You never have to beg. You never have to plead. He's waiting for you to just open your heart. And He'll come and fall. Like the rushing wind. He'll come. Like fire. They all didn't have a little bald patch afterwards where the fire sat on their head. It seemed to be like tongues of fire. And we, we heard it this morning in the prayer meeting. Fire, wind, water, all symbolic of the Spirit. How do you stop a fire with difficulty? How do you stop the wind? You can't. How do you stop a flood? Very difficult. How do you stop the Spirit? By saying no. Just no. <laughs> Sorry, what did you say? Impossible. Absolutely. Impossible. The birth of the church, the outpouring of the Spirit. And then we have this 
Gentile guy called Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. We'll go there. He's a Gentile man. Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion. He and his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. Is that all I gave you? Okay, well, that's all I need then. Um, yeah, I just want to say he was a, he was a Gentile. So if, you, if, you, if you're not Jewish, doesn't mean you're a Christian. It means you're a Gentile. Can you say amen? I'm a Christian. Why? What makes you a Christian? I don't know. I went to Sunday school when I was little. I've got a picture of Bing Crosby. You don't even know who Bing Crosby is. I don't care what you did. You've got to be born again. You've got to experience the Spirit. Paul went to Ephesus. He met those disciples. He said to them, did you receive the Spirit when you believed? They said, no, we haven't even heard. There is a Holy Spirit. What ba- you know that story? Acts 19. Cornelius is us, 44 and 46. Says this. He gets invited. Peter is having a snooze. Peter's pressing problem that he fell asleep a lot. Read the New Testament. P- Peter often had a dos. I think I've got a little bit of Peter's genes. Because I've got this chair at home. That just lends itself to that. And Peter has this vision, and God says to him, you must go to this house. And he argues with God because it's a Gentile house. And he goes, and it says, whilst Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. (laughs) For they heard them speaking in tongues. And so the Gentile world got the power and the presence of God. Peter was in trouble, Acts chapter 11, verse 1 to 3. Peter was in trouble. The apostles and the brothers heard that the Gentiles had received the word. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them? Now let me tell you something. This was a cultural problem. Hans said that people say, we won the World Cup, hallelujah, hope for the nation. No, it's not. By the end of the week, it will fade. All the babalasses will be gone. Everybody will just remember last Saturday. And ah, what a game. We have a cultural problem that was written into the law books of this nation that caused mega, mega heart soul and heartache and, and trouble And the only one who can fix it is Jesus. And Peter went into a Gentile home, which was forbidden. They said, what do you think you're doing? You're going into a Gentile home. And they questioned him. And Peter explains why he did it in Acts 11, 15. As I began to speak, he's telling the disciples, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us. Then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift as he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, you was I to think that I could oppose God. Now listen to this. Listen to this. When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, The power of the presence of God by the Holy Spirit will change this nation and nothing else. Sorry, Faf, lekker gespeeld, broer, but 
it's over. It's just a little cup now that goes into a cabinet. And I've got a little thing I hang around my neck that people try and steal. No, I've got something where they break in. They can't steal it. They can't steal it. It's permanent. It's forever. Some hearts and minds are locked to the, locked to the realm of the spirit. It's locked. You, 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 you're locked. We can't get there. I repeat, the spirit is the key to unlock these doors. We're using the wrong key to try and open our hearts and our minds. We're using the what we know key instead of the who we know key. It's the what we know. It's, I, I'm smart. I've got so many degrees. I look like a thermometer. I don't care if you've got so many degrees. And you're such a clever man. N- meeting Jesus means nothing. That is a hindrance rather than a help. Because I use the what I know key. Oh, yes, but you know how many degrees I've got. I have got a B-A-D-D-H-G, if you want to know. Born again, double dose to the Holy Ghost, if you didn't know what that means. Well, some people thought it was actually a degree. We're using the what we know. That was the problem in Acts 11 when Peter explained that the Spirit came. They were satisfied. It wasn't a theological problem. It was a cultural problem solved by the presence of God. The Gentiles receive the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Christianity is an experiential faith. Because Jesus is alive. Every other faith on the planet, every other religion, their God is dead. Have you spoken to a dead person? I spoke to a dead guy. He just refused to answer. Because he's dead. He's dead. The first time I had that in my pastorate, this guy put out the dustbin and went and lay on his bed and died. And his wife phoned me and said, well, you better come quickly. Now, I'm not into dead people. I mean, it's not my bundle, really, but as a pastor, you know, you got to do these things. And when I got there, the doctor was there. And he said, look, do me a favor. Just come into the room. Just straighten him up. <sighs> not nice. Not nice pull the legs, straighten him up, make him look deep. I mean, he didn't respond, eh? Said nothing, felt nothing. I thought, blow you then. But he didn't care because he was dead. We are dead to the life of the Spirit. And we only get awakened to that reality by the Spirit of God. Romans, we read it just now. If you don't have the Spirit of God, you do not belong to Jesus. It's an experiential faith. We are called to step into that realm because it's beyond human ability. That's when it starts getting scary. We want to control, you know. I want to be in charge. Hmm. The realm of the Spirit, that's where the power is. That's where the abundant life is. Paul was in Athens in Acts chapter 17. Listen to what he's up against in Athens. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Verse 21. You got that? There we are. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Verse 32 and 33. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Now, Paul was in Athens preaching the gospel. 
appealing, listen to me, appealing to their cerebral ability. We want to hear you again. We're not so sure about that. Well, you know, what's this advocating foreign gods? That's Paul. This is my theology. Please, um, Mr. Halley, forgive me if you don't agree with this. But if you don't, it's just your problem, not mine. (laughs) In the next chapter, chapter 18 in Acts, Paul goes to Corinth. Now, we know the Corinthian church. Andrew's spoken about the Corinthian church. If you've heard any preach, they were wild. The oaks were nuts. They were sinning. Their gifts were flying. There was chaos in that church. And at the end of one of the chapters, I think it's 12, it says, everything must be done fittingly and in order. And the traditional church is fitting and orderly, but everything's missing. And often in charismatic Pentecostal churches, there's everything, but not much, not much is fitting and orderly. He goes to Corinth, and in 1 Corinthians 2, 1 to 5, this is what he writes when he came there. He said, when I came to you, brothers, listen now. I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching, listen, were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. Paul decided, when I go to Corinth, I'm going to call on the Holy Spirit to help me. I'm going to come in a demonstration of the power of God. I'm not going to try and argue people into the kingdom. I can't argue people into the kingdom. I'm not clever enough. Say shame. He doesn't use the what we know key. He uses the who we know key. The Christian faith is not show me and I'll believe. The Christian faith is believe. And when you believe, you'll see. That's what makes it so difficult to accept. What am I believing? You're believing in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God Himself, the Savior of the world, who was born of a virgin, who gave His, who lived 33 years perfectly, never sinned, never said a wrong word. You know, if you read the Gospels, He never apologized to anybody because He didn't have to. Have you said things and there's the words come out? You think you try and catch them and put them back? Too late. Never Jesus. This perfect, perfect man came and gave his life. And the Christian faith is believing that. Faith is believing is seeing. I'm going to stop. I've still got some stuff to go. I've only, I've only done 25 minutes. I'm doing well. 29. But there was a lot of stuff in the beginning that took my time, eh? Let me say this to you guys. If you're sitting here this morning and you say, well, I don't know whether I'm a Christian or not. I'm I'm not sure. If you're not sure, you're probably not a Christian. Because when the Spirit of God enlightens you, when, when you, when you sense the presence of God, you know. You just know. I I wasn't a bad guy. You know, I I didn't do drugs and I have lots of women and I never did that stuff. But I did like beer, you can see. And I didn't think I needed God. And this minister came to the town we were in, living in, and 
took a liking to me for some, bless his heart, some reason. He, he was such a nerd. I was a sportsman. I played cricket and hockey, and when I could, I played rugby. I shouldn't have because I got a broken elbow, and, but I, I was a sports guy. And then this, I'd sit in the freaking grandstand, one oak in the grandstand, watching me. And I felt like, you know, his eyes are boring into the back of me all the time. But he was trying to be nice. Anyway, long story short, he insisted we go to church. First Sunday we go to church, my late wife gets saved. There she is in the front crying. I'm standing at the back saying, you see what happens? You come to church, it just messes everything up. <laughs> I'm, I'm in the bathroom with her. We had one little kid at that point. She's sitting in the bath, very serious. She says to me, lovey, you're going to go to hell. I said, you go to hell. What are you doing? <laughs> that, that's the effect it had on her. Bam! She met Jesus. She met Jesus. And it was in a very legalistic church. But, but the Spirit of God, that down payment, that understanding, hit her. You're going to hell. I thought, gee, what did I, what, what did I do? I mean, I'm not a bad guy. Six months later, she took me to a meeting. We'd moved towns. And the preacher preached on, he had all this, this stuff of the revelation around the wall, lakes of fire, and I thought, my goodness me. And you know what he did? He was a Baptist. And for a Baptist to do this has to be God. He changed his message from the one he had. And you know what he did? He taught me what it means to be a Christian. He just, I thought it was for me. Anybody wants to respond? He said, you come. Years later, I went back to that church with my eldest son because he wanted to see where I got saved. And this minister came out and said, can you help? And I said, yeah, we're from the South African Revenue Service. We just came to town. <laughs> you should have seen his face. Anyway, we quickly. Do you believe in Jesus? Have you accepted that Jesus is who he claimed to be? If you haven't, the end of this meeting, I'm going to give you opportunity to come and do that. You must do that. He's your only hope. He's your only hope. It doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done, what you've said, what you haven't said. He wants you. Because he wants to put new life in you. This life of the Spirit. He says you must be born again. I was born once. I think I was a baby once. Long time ago, I was like that little guy in the corner there, small little oak. Then I got born again. Then I saw, I understood the reality, the realm. There are two scriptures I want to end with. And I didn't give them to you. So when you see them, don't panic, because this is the New Living Translation. It says this, and I could have given it to you, you could have helped, but I'll read it. Ephesians 3.19 says this. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Oh. You see, you can't use this. I'm not saying, you know, you walk into church, leave your brains at the door, you know, bitty, 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 bitty. <laughs> you know, it's Luke's preaching, bitty. No, I'm not saying that. But you cannot work it out cerebrally. It hits you in the, it hits you in your mangalisto. I don't know what that is, but it's a good word. In, in your heart, in your inner being, you feel it. Philippians 4, 7 says, 
then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. I want that. I want that. I'm not a Greek scholar, but I do have a strong concordance. I used to say, I know a little Greek, and he's got a cafe down in the corner near where I live there. But now I can say, I do know a little Greek, because we've got Dimitri Nikiforis in our congregation now, and he's a little guy. <laughs> this is what it says, to know. To know in the Greek word means ginosko, to know. And it means this, to be aware, to feel, to be resolved, to experience, to be sure, to understand, to know experientially. That's what that word means, to know. I know because I've experienced it. My kids knew when they were naughty because they got a hiding experienced one on each cheek with a clothes brush. Boom, boom. And then one day I gave the wrong guy a hiding. My boys. And he said, Dad, you hit me. I said, all right, fair is fair. And I bent over and he gave me one on each cheek. And then I realized experientially that what I used to do did least pain. It was and so We still talk about it. He loved that. <laughs> to know, to know. He said this. This is what he said. Where am I in my notes? You experience the love across the gratefully and then you will experience God's peace. Then I know. Then it says this knowledge in that it surpasses knowledge, it goes beyond me. The Greek word is gnosis. It's with a G, but you don't say the G. It's not gnosis, it's gnosis. <laughs> they even tell you how to pronounce the word. It's amazing. It makes a preacher look good. When he says the Greek word. Meanwhile, it's just a strong concordance, a big, thick red book. This means knowledge or science. What can be stored in the human brain or in the data banks of the human mind. I don't just want that. It's not knowledge that I chiefly need. It's to know that I need. In order to know this love that goes beyond our natural ability to know, we must rely on the Holy Spirit. Just put up John 16. 12 to 15. This is what Jesus said of him. He said to the disciples, sorry, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. What did Jesus say in John 14, 6? I'm the way, the truth, truth, truth. I am the truth. It says the spirit will guide you into all truth. The spirit will lead you into knowing Jesus, the truth. He will not speak on his own. That's the Spirit. He will only speak what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to be by taking from what is mine and make it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That's why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. <laughs> we can't lose. I'm a winner. I've got the life of God in me. And he helps me when I read the book. He gives me wisdom. He gives me understanding because I'm clever. No, because I've got the Holy Spirit in me. He's going to do that. Can you say amen to that? Amen. He will make Jesus real. He will make Jesus known. He will bring glory to him by taking from what is him and making it known. That, my brothers, is most definitely not cerebral understanding. That is who the Holy Spirit is. He's God. How does this happen? How does it happen? 40 minutes is good, eh? Yeah, yeah. 
I'm very conscious of, you know, we've got to be quick, quick. <laughs> I've got a lunch date, bro. <laughs> joking, joking. I have the, she's 90, so it's all right. It's my aunt. Romans 5, 1 to 5. Let's read this together. Therefore, and whether you see a therefore in the scripture, you must look to see what it's there for. Yeah? Therefore, since we have peace, we have been justified through faith, we have peace with our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you don't have peace with Jesus, the, the, the reverse is that you don't understand what being justified means. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. Because <laughs> we know that suffering produces perseverance. And perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given. I'm not saying from now on you receive him, everything will be roses. Roses have thorns, unfortunately. What I'm saying to you is you will have one who lives inside you, who enables you to overcome in your challenging times. Have I had challenges in my life? Have you got a day or two? I can tell you. Have I had good times? Have you got a week? Of course there have been challenges. I'm an old man now. Next year I'm going to be 50 years old in God. 50. God has been faithful to me. Faithful to me. Have I been that good? No. It's the grace of God. I want to tell you a story about Luke. I was brand new in Joshua generation. You know what Luke's like. It kind of sidles up to you. How's it, you know? <laughs> so I go to Wellington. He's like that, isn't he? Kind of just, there's Luke. Oh, hello, Luke. And I know nobody. I mean, nobody. This is 2019. I get asked to come to this meeting in Wellington. Drive out to him praying. Please, Lord Jesus. I don't know nobody. Get there, Mervis says, are you, are you Jeff? Yeah, I've got a song for you. I dissolve into tears. I don't want to dissolve into tears when I'm crying, guys. I don't know who they are. So it's okay, brother. And I know it's okay, but I'm embarrassed. We have tea or lunch, and the next thing, here's Luke. Hi, I'm Luke. No, Luke, I'm Jeff. And very subtly began to find out what my theology was. <laughs> Very smart. Anyway, he still loves me. I still love him. So obviously what I said was acceptable. Thank God. No, I'm joking. That's when I met Luke. And I'll never forget that, Luke, actually. That was, that was a good chat, and it was, it was good for me. And the Spirit of God is good for you. That's how he comes to you. Do you understand? No, I don't. I'll show you. I'll help you. Now I'm going to pray for three things. Let me stop the clock. How do I do that? 